0: Hey everybody, welcome to What's the Point Bible podcast. We're excited to be back with you and continue to cover the book of Acts. We are going to be moving in to Acts chapter number two, the day of Pentecost today. But I'm Pastor Garrett and I am joined with Pastor Joe. What's going on, Pastor Joe?
1: Doing good. How you doing today?
0: I am doing great. Um, ready to keep moving on in the Book of
1: Acts. Excited for another day of Bible study.
0: Yeah, I know. Ready to get ready to you know be moving into the New Testament too because it's uh, kind of fun to go back and forth. You can kind of see how they work together. Right. So we are going to move into Acts chapter number two. So we just went through Acts one. The apostles have been moved back to twelve and they're all together in the upper room. And then let's just read here this first paragraph and then we'll kind of dive into it. Most of you probably have never heard that verse before, so <laughs> I'm
1: <gonna stick.
0: laughs> Pastor Joe, get us started here.
1: Day of Pentecost. Oh, so uh, Pentecost is one of the Jewish feasts, and uh, the name Pentecost is a Greek word. It simply means 50, um, which comes 50 days after the Passover. And so, you know, the, the, the Jews had different feasts uh, that they celebrated, recognized, but three particular feasts required... All the Jewish men to make a journey back into Jerusalem. They had to come to Jerusalem to celebrate it. Yeah. Uh, the Feast of Passover, and then the Feast of Weeks, which is also the Feast of Pentecost, and then the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, however mm-hmm. you want to say it. Those three feasts required the, the uh, Jewish men to come back into Jerusalem to celebrate. So I think the timing of this, obviously God knew exactly what he was doing, but the timing of this is perfect. Right. If you want to get the message out to the then-known world, mm-hmm. then uh, do it when everybody from all the nations are gathered in one city.
0: Yeah, you know, Jerusalem will never be more full than it is on Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, because yeah. you have thousands of Jews coming Hundreds in. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah, from around <laughs> the world yeah, um, coming in, and so it sets up perfectly for this move, and You know, Pentecost is also referred to as the Feast of First Fruits, um, because it coincides with the beginning of the grain harvest.
1: Which is another great uh, correlation to what's going to happen here, right?
0: Yeah. So what it is, is the book of Acts shows all these people being converted to following Jesus as the first fruits of the harvest. It's, it's, you know.
1: Yep. The harvest is going to be coming in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and it, it is just interesting that there are only three pilgrimage feasts, as Pastor Joe mentioned. And two of them kind of have, from the Bible itself, theological significance, meaning Passover, that was the time when Jesus died on the cross, right? It's Passover week right? when Jesus died and then rose again. Um, Pentecost is when the Spirit was given, right? The first fruits of what Jesus did at Passover. And then um, tabernacles, that speaks of... It's supposed to remember God being with them in the wilderness. Um, That is actually referenced in the book of revelation in chapter 22 it says now i am their god and they're my people and i will be with them
1: tabernacle that's with them.
0: tabernacle dwell yeah. with them so you know the idea of jesus the the feast of tabernacles points to when jesus will come back and be with us
1: yeah well certainly the feast all have uh other meanings than just uh mm-hmm. just the time of celebration you know like jesus there's a prophetic means yeah, their these.
0: full meaning you know their yeah
1: you yeah. also the you know uh Pentecost uh, also has a connection and later on they really kind of celebrated it more but a connection with the giving of the law yeah um, after they you know were uh, delivered from Egypt which is Passover mm-hmm. then they traveled and come up to Mount Sinai where Moses received the law and yeah. they connect that with uh, Pentecost and I think we can reflect back on some of the things that happened there that will correlate what happens here on this particular day and the day of Pentecost. Definitely. And, um, you know, the giving of the law, that went from the letter of the law in the Old Testament now to the spirit of the law or right. the spirit of, of grace, or, mm-hmm. you know, I think we can kind of see that connection too. So, Well,
0: yeah, even Paul, mean like in Romans, you know, you were under the law, yeah, but now you're under grace. You know, it's kind of this initiation.
1: Yeah. You know? So when the day of Pentecost is fully come, there is this, spectacular event that takes place. Yeah. You know, the timing of it is interesting, too. Um, It's early in the morning. Mm -hmm. Somehow, uh, we don't know exactly what time the Holy Spirit uh, fell on that day, but we know that it was in the morning time because shortly after the Holy Spirit came, um, they came out of the upper room, and Peter references the third hour, it's 9 Mm a.m., you know, so we know that uh, it happened early in the morning. Right. That's just kind of a time frame for us. Yeah. You know, it happens, so it's, For those that think that the Holy Spirit cannot move until after 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. <laughs> That's right. Or 11 a.m., you know. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he can move in the early morning hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he can move anytime, morning too. Yeah. Um, you know, this whole work of the Holy Spirit, you know, a lot of times we read this, we gloss over verse 1 so we can get to, and suddenly there came, you know, the sound. But all of this that happens is prefaced by verse 1 because it says, and they were all together in one place. It's the, re- the repeat of that together language. Yeah. Because remember what's happened in between here? They were together. Then they had this decision they had to make, and they picked Matthias, and now they're still together. Yeah. Right? And their unity is really emphasized.
1: Yeah. Unity and unifying of the people is kind of a theme here in chapter 2. Oh, yeah. So And even in chapter 1, you know the uh, coming together of the 12, mm-hmm. and, and then we're going to see the coming together of the nations.
0: Yep. Perfect. So. so then let's break down this this event, the coming of the Spirit. So it's kind of broken down here into a few actions or a few things that happen. So first it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound. Okay, a sound. So God is God is always in the Old Testament referenced or his appearing is referenced by some kind of event. You know, he never just, you never turn around and you're like, oh, there's God. I didn't know you were there. Yeah. You know, he's always some kind of sound, you know, even in the garden, it says, you know, when Adam heard the sound of the Lord in the garden, he hid, Yeah. you know, he came in a sound, you could hear him. Right. Um, In this uh passage here, the sound kind of references back to what Pastor Joe was saying about how the Feast of Pentecost relates to the giving of the law, because... This relates back to Exodus 19, the very first time when they meet God on the Mount Sinai. Um, and it says that when the Lord descended on the mountain, there were thunderings and lightnings and the sound of a loud trumpet blast. You know, these big sounds, you know, represented that the Lord was there. The Lord was present, you know. Yeah. And the cool thing about when you relate the Old Testament to the New Testament is you see that. Okay, this is what happened in the Old Testament. Now, how does God make it better in the New Testament for us? Yeah. So, there, the Lord descended on the mountain while Israel was at the bottom. But here, the sound filled the room that they were in. Yeah. You know, God was coming down in their room.
1: Yeah. There was definitely a a heavenly invasion that was about to take place right here. Yeah. And the sound kind of announced it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and they would. They would understand that, mm-hmm. you know. They understood certainly. They understood the Old Testament, and so they probably could draw the connection to God coming down. That sound represented, yeah, you know,
0: in in a loud sound like that in a world without heavy machinery and stuff like that. A loud sound would be very distinct, you know. So the next thing it comes, a loud sound of what? Of a rushing wind, right? Of a rushing wind. So, the, the wind is an obvious connection to the Holy Spirit because yeah. in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word ruach is used for spirit and wind, breath, you know, that kind of airy. Yeah. So, the yeah. wind is a clear connection to that. Yeah.
1: You know, if he, from, from God breathed into man, yep. he became a living soul. Uh, so, we see all of these, uh, these pictures. And so, the wind, the breath, the spirit of God mm-hmm. was making entrance.
0: Right. And where is the spirit? So if you go back to Genesis, it works good that we went Genesis to Acts because we got beginnings here. So yeah. When you when we went back to Genesis, the spirit is most prominent in the book of Genesis in chapters one through eleven. Because that all deals with God creating and recreating the world. And so what happens there? You have the spirit over the waters in Genesis one. God breathes into man, gives them life. When the flood waters come up and And chapter 8, verse 1, it says, But God remembered Noah and caused a wind to blow over the waters to cause that chaos to recede. Yeah. So here, all those images Luke is forcing into this passage, and just like the wind blew over the waters in Genesis 1, just like they blew over the waters in Genesis 8, just like they blew into man when he created man, God was recreating something here, something that was going to combat evil, something that was going to take down chaos.
1: Yeah. Well, and we we will know it to be the church, you know, the believer, the church and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, so it's a great picture. The wind of God, the breath of God, the spirit, the Mm. spirit of God that was coming into man.
0: Yeah. So very cool. Um, So the spirit comes in a sound. It comes in a wind. And then it says there were divided tongues that rested on them, right? Rested on each one of them. Um, and, and there's a Greek word here, kathizo, and that speaks of an idea of permanence, an idea of a residence. So in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, every time that this Greek word is used, it speaks of someone settling in their home, or they came home and rested in their home, found the land and settled there, or stayed there. It speaks of permanence. Yeah. And now think about... Because Luke is writing in light of the Old Testament. what? How did the Spirit work in the Old Testament? If you read Judges and Samuel, you'll quickly realize you'll see a refrain repeated, and the Spirit rushed upon Othniel, and he beat this person. Then it rushed upon Ehud, and the Spirit rushed upon David, and rushed upon Saul. But then it also leaves. Mm-hmm. But here, Luke uses this word to show the Spirit's not coming to leave. The Spirit rested on them, found, yeah. it, found a home
2: yeah. in them.
1: It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Not just the coming up upon. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Spirit comes upon people, usually prophet, priest, king. Those are kind of the three unique categories that, yep. that it would happen to. But now we see that it doesn't just come upon believers, but it will indwell. He will indwell believers, yeah. you know, and it will become a home. And so we become the temple then. Yeah. right we're the, we're the the uh the abode of the spirit so the whole picture is changing from a earthly temple mm-hmm. you know a structure to to us yeah, it, being the temple
0: it changes from which is a good segue into the next phrase yeah. but this it changes from something you experience to something you are so like i when i some some of the reason i don't like some of the modern like language around the church is, you know, we believe in the fullness of the Bible, the fullness of the work of the spirit, but the spirit is not something I just want to experience. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people want to experience the spirit. I want, I want to be in a church service where the blind eyes are opened or, you know, I want to see this happen. You know, they want to experience, man, the spirit came for more than for you to experience something, came for you to be something. Yeah. You know, cuz yeah, the Jewish people could experience the temple, but then they'd leave and go home. But now Luke is saying, now you can be the temple.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. It's not just uh show up, have my entertainment, uh have my experience and go home. Yeah. Now it's I'm going to I'm going to be that. I'm going to be it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so that leads right in. We kind of hit a lot of this in verse 4. The next phrase is and they were filled. And they were filled. Pimplemi is the Greek word there. It literally means to fill up. But the important part about the word there is it is used in two distinct passages in the Old Testament, and both of them refer to the tabernacle or temple. So let me read here, Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35. This is when the tabernacle is completed. It says, "...then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled..." That's that word, "...the tabernacle." And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord, here it is again, filled the tabernacle. It's the same word. Then in 1 Kings 8, 10 and 11, this is when the temple has been completed. Get this. This is at the initiation of the tabernacle, at the initiation of the temple. It says this in 1 Kings 8, When the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord, here it is, filled the house of the Lord. So at the initiation of the tabernacle, the Spirit of God filled it. At the initiation of the temple, the Spirit of God filled it. Yeah. And at the initiation of the new temple, yeah. the Spirit of God filled it.
1: There's definitely a transition that has taken place from Old Testament... Uh, theology to New yeah. Testament theology, if that's the way we can say it, yeah. where God would fill these temples, uh, and man was kind of set aside. You yeah. know, God came in, and man could not enter, man could not do anything,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: now it's being changed that God's not filling buildings, he's filling people, Yeah, and we are becoming the the temples of the Holy Spirit, not so that we can be set aside, mm-hmm. but now God is going to work through us.
2: Yeah. You know, exactly. so that's
1: the difference between kind of the old testament. But but this picture, you know, this is something that the Jews would could relate to. They could understand, you know, the idea yeah. of the Holy Spirit filling the temple, and now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's filling us. Oh. Okay. You know, and then Paul just brings it out then in his epistles. You're the temple. Yeah. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, and he's going to dwell yeah. in you.
0: Of all of these images, this image, they were filled, is probably the most clear because the temple and tabernacle scenes are just so iconic to the I mean, the temple was virtually an icon for God for the Jewish people. So I mean, Luke is making a strong statement here that the spirit is now filling you. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah. And so and then so the sound of, of heaven uh then is translated to the sound of tongues. Yeah. You know. Um I thought it was interesting, let me just back up a second, that that they saw these divided tongues of fire right. that appeared. You know, it says that it appeared and arrested on them. It's kind of a unique uh, event that took place on this day, but they actually saw yeah. Yeah. these tongues of fire. I mean, it was a real... It appeared to them, yeah. Yeah, there was a real uh, demonstration that was taking place, you know what I mean, right. in Advent. Of course, this fire that uh, accompanies the wind and the the arrival of the Holy Spirit also is a picture of what happened at Mount Sinai, yeah. right? Fire yeah. on the mountain and, mm-hmm. and, and so forth, so... Um, So they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, um, you know, the the term is glossolalia, and uh, to speak in other tongues, and uh, it is, uh, you know, it was a characteristic of the infilling of the Holy Spirit on that day. So, you know, what kind of tongues were these in this event? Mm, So. I think that you know, if we were to study out the New Testament, we would see it manifest in uh, different ways. But in this particular picture, I think it's clear that they begin to speak in other earthly languages that they did not know. Right? Yeah. There were people gathered from nations all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, every nation. Well, the Scripture says every nation. You know, right. which is just kind of a term saying they was from everywhere. Right. And so these men of Galilee would not have had this kind of knowledge of speaking to everyone. But what better way to get the message out to the entire world than on that day they all begin to speak in earthly languages so people can hear them in their own language. Yeah. Pretty spectacular event, actually.
0: Yeah. It, oh, yeah. And I think what you said is, is just vitally important to to biblical study in general. Um, you mentioned that across the Bible we will see different portrayals of the gift of tongues. However, in this instance, you know, to understand what a book says, you have to study a book. Yeah. You know, so we're going to, in the book of Acts, it's going to give us a message, you know, through the use of the gift of tongues. And I think you're right. It speaks of these earthly languages because it's less important, if I'm going to be honest, that the people spoke in tongues. And it's more important what it means for the book of Acts in this specific situation.
2: Yeah.
1: So the Spirit gave them this uh, ability to speak and Jesus told him he said uh, when the Spirit comes he's going to testify of me mm-hmm. so we see the very first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes fills the believers is he does just that yeah <laughs> he begins to testify of Jesus and and we'll, we'll hear him say you know the people that are in the nation uh, in the city hearing them say we hear them speak in our own language and they are speaking the wonderful works of of God. Of you know God, what I mean? Yeah. They, they are his testifying of Jesus and who he is and so forth. So um, you know, when the Holy Spirit came, had the attention of the whole world, mm-hmm. um, I think it's great the message that he chose to speak.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you he's know, what mean? speak about God's works, goodness. Yeah. yeah,
1: the works of the Lord testified of Jesus, testify of the resurrection. That's probably a good pattern for us. Yep. <laughs> when you have the opportunity, yeah. testify of Jesus.
0: Yeah, exactly. You, you know, know, there's a There's a lot of things we maybe want to say or feel like saying, but, you know, with the Spirit leads us, the Bible's clear, the Spirit's going to testify of Jesus. Um, So as we move into that section here, which is verses 5 through 13, you know, it prefaces the Spirit, these disciples, these apostles, not just the 12, we get the indication here that it's going to be all 120 or whatever people were in the upper room, men, women. Um, It says that there were Jews... From every nation under heaven, Pastor Joe mentioned that. Now that's impossible for literally there to be Jews from every nation under heaven, right? You know. But what it means is it's a it's a statement meaning from all over the world is what it means. From yeah. all parts of the world. Right. So maybe not from every exact, you know, government or whatever, but it means from all over the world there were Jews and they begin to hear the gospel in their own language. So the important part here is that these are Jews. Okay, this is not Gentile people yet. These are Jews. So this goes back to, remember we said chapter one was going to foreshadow the restoration of Israel? Well, you know, if you remember the the exiles of Israel that we had talked about, you have the northern kingdom going off um, for Assyrian exile, the southern kingdom Babylonian exile. The only group that came back was the group from Babylon, but even then it was a partial group. A
1: partial group, yeah. So
0: you have all of the Assyrian exiles are still gone somewhere. Yeah. Or at least a vast majority of them. And then you have a good portion of the Babylonian exiles are still gone.
1: They just resided there. They just, uh, yeah, yeah. they multiplied and grew in, in those nations. Yeah, know? so
0: the nation of Israel is really just a fraction of the Jews who exist in the world. Yeah. So all these people, when it says they're coming from the other world, this is the reuniting of the 12 tribes figuratively. Yeah. that were spread out from Assyria and Babylon they're all reunited. This is the image Luke is giving here. So when they're all reunited under the gospel of Jesus, which is what we're going to see later, this is Israel being reunited together in a yeah. spiritual sense.
1: Yeah. It's this this message that we we mentioned earlier of the unity, you know, yeah. the unity of the 12, the unity of the nation, yeah. the unity of the nations, you right. know, the Lord bringing it all together. So this uh This event takes place, they come out of the upper room, uh, they're speaking in other tongues, and people hear them testifying of the goodness of God in their own language. Let me say something about that, because as we go down a little bit further, it will uh, start talking about all the different nations that were represented there. And uh, there were more than 12 nations that are listed here. Right, And so... um, if there's more than 12 nations speaking more than 12 languages, that means that more than just the 12 apostles had to be speaking in other tongues. Yeah. And this just addresses the, this idea that only the apostles spoke in tongues, you know, that it was a gift for only the and, apostles. Yeah,
0: an apostolic gift only, yeah. you know, to the apostles. And
1: yeah. so the reality is, is there was 120 in that room, including women including the brothers of Jesus and then others, Mm -hmm. others who were followers of Christ, witnesses to his resurrection and so forth. And so they were all active in this demonstration. Yeah. You know, all participating in this, um, this gift, you know, speaking in other languages that they did not know. So I I think it's just a good point. Yeah,
0: That it was a more of an inclusive thing that's happening here. Yeah. And, um, and Luke refers back to the Exodus nineteen thing because remember in Exodus nineteen the sound of the Lord on the mountain and Israel gathered around the mountain. Well, here you hear the sound of all these tongues, these different languages, right? That these that these believers are speaking the mighty works of God, and and it says when they heard this at the sound, it says at the sound the multitude came together, right? They came together around. These people, and just like Israel came together around the mountain. So, this is a picture of God rested on the believers. Now, God is coming down to the nations.
1: Again, it's the picture of the Holy Spirit is bringing people together. Yeah. Not dividing. Yeah. They came together. We have made it a divisive thing. Right. It was never (laughs) supposed to be a divisive thing. It was the bringing together of people. And so.
0: Yeah. So. Then they begin to speak and they say, you know, the iconic phrase, you know, we hear every man in our own language. And yeah. this is really a direct reversal of the curse that happened at Babel in Genesis 11.
1: Yeah. So whenever God uh, came down and, and kind of judged what was happening in Babel, um, the one thing that he did is he confounded their languages. Right. Right. And because they couldn't speak the same language, then it divided out the nations. Um, Right before that, in chapter 10, they have the table of nations. And so we see how all that came about. Nations dispersed throughout the land. There was division. That was because of the curse of sin. But now, under the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the nations that had been divided are now coming back, and they are united with language. You know, yeah. the Holy Spirit is speaking the language for all of them. Right. So it's a beautiful picture, reversal.
0: You know, and what's interesting, I'll just make a note here about the unification, is in Babel, they were united by language, and they then became divided by language, right? But in, the, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit uses their individual languages, so they are not united by a unified language, they're united by the Spirit. Yeah. Right. So that's why I can get on a plane and go over and visit a a mission field with other Christians who don't speak my native language, yet I can feel like they're my brother or sister in Christ because not united by culture or language. I'm united by the same spirit. Yeah. And, And that's kind of what's happening here. But, you know, Genesis 11 brings into play Genesis chapter 10, which is the table of nations. It speaks about how the world's divided. Remember, we talked about that for a long time right, um, in our Genesis series. And Luke actually lists off a bunch of nations. He says, there's Jews here from, and he goes on a list, right. all of these different nations. right? Um, and that's not an accident. That's not uh, you know, for you to skip over. Luke is referencing that table of nations because, remember, the nation said it spread out over the world and it gave regions where they were at. And so using Israel as the reference point here, Jerusalem as the reference point, Luke goes all around the globe. Yeah. To the east, he names the Parthians, the Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia. That's all east of Israel, but they're all there. Yeah. To the west, he just simply says Rome, because that stands on its own. Rome is the biggest polity in the world, right? To the north, you have Pontus, Asia, which is for them would be kind of Turkey area, um, Phrygia and Pamphylia. All that's to the north of Israel, and to the south you have Egypt and Libya. So what Luke is saying is north, south, east, and west. You know yeah. God is reaching out to reclaim all these nations. Yeah.
1: So it's it's a great picture. You think in Babel they disperse probably in all directions. Right. On Pentecost they come together, they converge from yeah. all directions, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we just can't miss the timing. God doesn't do things haphazardly. Uh, the things that are in the Old Testament. Were for pictures and for examples, and uh, help us to f- see what was going to take place in the New Testament. Passover mm-hmm. we saw was the picture of Christ. Right. Pentecost is the picture of the you know, of the Holy Spirit. Advent, yeah. you know, it happened on the time when all these nations were there. We're the together. timing yeah. is important.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about that. The gift of tongues was God's way of reversing Babel. Right. It was reversing that curse, okay? It was a way of fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, what does God say to Abraham? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, right? Yeah. This is this is God's initiation of fulfilling that. Yeah. Because Jesus, through Jesus, now all these nations are hearing and they're going to receive. But I think it's important for us to understand that now we understand the theology of speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. It is about God's intent to reclaim the nations. Mm -hmm. It's God's intent to reunify the world, not anymore under a language, but under one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross. So when we see speaking in tongues in the book of Acts, okay, I'm talking about the book of Acts, it speaks to that theological point. It doesn't speak to a salvific point of personal salvation. It doesn't even speak to a personal action or gift that we have necessarily, it speaks more to God's theology about reclaiming the nations. Now, that is the personal gift and thing is in the Bible. Yeah. It talks about that. But the theology of what God is doing is represented by the speaking of tongues here.
2: Yeah.
1: And these, uh, these nations that will come together, they really become the first missionaries mm-hmm. of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we know the apostles are going to stay in Jerusalem for a period of time still. Yeah. But when Pentecost is over, all of these mm-hmm. Jews that came from all these nations are going to return back. You know, I can think just specifically. I'm thinking of Paul, who turned out to be a great missionary, maybe the greatest. You know, uh, writing his letter to Rome's to yeah. Rome to the you know the letter to the Romans. Uh, he had not yet been there, but he's writing to the believers that right. are in Rome. You're thinking, wait a minute, there are believers in Rome. He hasn't even been there to establish a church, but we see that there were. Jews from Rome yeah. in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost that went back and were spreading the gospel. Yeah. And the church was growing even before Paul got there. I mean, I think that's yeah. a, a wonderful thing. So <laughs> so so the message of Christ is going to around the world even before the apostles are dispersed.
0: Yeah. So to say that this kind of evangelistic atmosphere was purely apostolic, I mean it doesn't no, because Paul's writing that. He's never been to Rome. And when he writes that great line, I, we greet you, brothers and Lord, even those of you that are in the house of Caesar. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's made it all the way into the highest, you know, governing body in the history of the world, yeah. really. I mean, yeah. and so it's it's really it's really amazing how God's just doing it. The first fruits, you know, it's happening.
1: Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it can just be a subtle thing. We don't even realize it because we're going to follow the ministry of Peter and then the ministry of Paul. That's kind mm-hmm. of the, the heartbeat of the book of Acts, yep. you know. Uh, but but right here at the very beginning, uh, we can see where the the launching out of the the message. And you figure, what are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about what they heard. What they hear? They heard the Holy Spirit talking about the good things of God, the good works right. of God, the good works, the, of God. the you know, the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. That's what they went and preached and, and shared.
0: Exactly. So that exciting scene. Okay, you imagine all the hustle and bustle now around there, and the people ask. A question. And they say, you know, what are we supposed to do? What does this mean? Yeah. What does this mean? We don't understand. So then we move into Peter.
1: Okay. Well, even, even then, not everybody has the same response. Some say, Oh yeah, that's right. You know, some are receiving it, hearing the good things of God and other people are like, man, these guys are drunk. <laughs> yeah. Some people are intrigued. Other people are scoffing. I want to say something about this. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, hear him talk about, uh, you know, these men are drunk and probably an indication on how they were acting. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be the boldness, could be the loudness. I don't know exactly, but somehow the way they're acting, people are making fun of them, mm-hmm. accusing being drunk. But we have put far too much emphasis on this drunkenness, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. to speak. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that the, the advent of the Holy Spirit was... The purpose is not to make people act drunk, right? You know what I mean. This was actually a a demeaning thing that people were saying. You're acting like a drunk person. You know what right. I mean. Critical of them and so forth. So uh while it was a, it certainly was a uh, a side effect of it. I mean, we think we see it later with Paul when he's pre- uh, testifying to Felix and Festus, and they said, you know, you're beside yourself. It's kind of right. the same language. You're you're like a Out drunk mind, man. Yeah. yeah, you're crazy. You you you've lost it what it was it shows the passion yeah the passion that they had yeah. for the message and so forth and so you know in the church world especially from our background and you know we're from a full gospel background and you know sometimes the emphasis can be on the wrong thing right yeah and i just thought I'd throw that out there i don't not no, want to make any enemies no here. <laughs> yeah well that's a good
0: point because yeah. this parallel has its parallel in the hannah story because it's the only two times in the bible where someone is assumed to be drunk yeah. And um, Eli says, you know, you're drunk, go home to Hannah. The only time that the only people using the words you're drunk are described as being scoffers, no wisdom, right? People who don't believe, hard hearts. So calling other people or calling yourself, I'm drunk. You know, in the spirit or you oh, euro, they were just drunk. You know, yeah. That's actually flipping around. What the Bible always used that term demeaningly of people.
1: Yeah, and the Holy Spirit just doesn't have us act in a way where we can't control ourselves, or we lose our capacity. Lest to we remember the fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> which is self-control. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, uh, you know, we don't need to no, dwell but here that's long. A good, but, but that's a good point, though. But you know, that was the reaction. So even on the great display here, the the advent of the Holy Spirit. Not everybody's for it. Yep. Some are against it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and uh, they're, you know, they say they're drunk and Peter quickly addresses it then and, and uh, stands up and begins to preach.
0: Yeah. So Peter stands up in the midst of this crowd who's ready to listen to him. And I think it's interesting that first phrase, but Peter standing with the 11. So remember when we talked about they were filled with the spirit and we read those tabernacle and temple passages, remember what it says in the temple passage where it says, and when the priest came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister, right? But here the Holy Spirit is doing something even greater. Back then the Spirit filled the temple and the priest couldn't stand to minister. But here the Spirit filled Peter so he could stand and minister. Yeah, I mean, you get that because back then the Lord filled the temple, not the priest. Yeah. But now the Lord is filling Peter and it gives him the ability to stand and minister.
1: Yeah, I love that picture, Pastor Garrett. And uh and uh in the old testament, the Holy Spirit or the, the presence of God, the glory of God comes in, and man is kind of set aside. Man cannot enter, man cannot stand. It is like God's doing this. Yeah. And that's the way, that is a lot of the picture of the Old Testament, God doing it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now in the New Testament, it's not God filling the temple, it's God filling people. And it's like, God says, I'm going to use you. Right. I'm not coming down to set you aside, mm-hmm. I'm coming down to help you to stand up. Exactly. And I love that. You know yeah. what I mean? And they stood up. Uh, so great contrast there.
0: Yeah. So then Peter stands up and he starts to speak. And the first thing he does is he addresses the naysayers. Hey, listen, these are not drunk, as you suppose. This is not what is happening. Yeah. They are not drunk. And he jumps in. He says, but this is that which Joel spoke about. And it's interesting here. I mean, we can make maybe a quick comment about how Peter is really aware of his audience at this point.
1: So Peter, uh, in this, this sermon, he is going to quote. He's going to quote from Joel. He's going to quote from the Psalms a couple times, uh, referring to David. He understands he's talking to a Jewish audience. And they are familiar with the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this just says something about knowing your audience. you yep. know Even the men that come from all these other nations, they're Jews, they're here because they're practicing yeah. Jews. and so they understand the Old Testament. So the best way to minister those is he shares with them Old Testament scriptures. Yeah. We can contrast that a little bit, fast forward up to Acts number 17. Uh, Paul is at Mars Hill, is in Athens. And uh, he is talking to a group of people that are not Jews. These are Gentiles. These are pagans. These are people that don't know anything about the mm-hmm. Old Testament. At one point, Paul starts to uh, testify to them a little bit about uh, what Scripture says. And their response is, what is this babbler saying? Yeah, <laughs> They don't even get it. They don't understand. And Paul quickly adapts to his audience. And he says, just like one of your poets oh, said. Yep. And he begins to... Uh, bring in and t- kind of talk their language, a more Greek influence, yeah, yeah a more modern culture, and, and uh, you know, taking examples from uh, from you know the the pop sp- culture or whatever, yeah, yeah. pop <laughs> culture or whatever, the people things that they could understand and yeah. recognize. And so it's a it's a contrast of styles. Peter preached strictly from the Old Testament to the Jews. Paul preached from popular culture, yeah, you know. Uh, I don't think we would stone either one of them. Right. <laughs> we, we applaud their their boldness to do whatever they had to do to get the message out. Yeah. And so uh, Peter understands his message, so he's just he's throwing down Old Testament scripture here.
0: Yeah. So he's preaching, and the first thing he says, he's like, they're not drunk, but this is that which was prophesied by Joel, okay? And he goes in that prophecy that we probably have all heard, and he reads a passage from Joel. And here, let me just read it real quick. This is what it says. And in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah. So when we ask ourselves, why did Peter quote Joel 2? You know, most of us are familiar, you know, with that, you know, in the last days it shall be, God says, I'll pour out my spirit, you know. But that was not the point of Peter's quoting Joel. He was quoting that to relate it to what had happened, right? This is the spirit being poured out, but he's quoting it. Not for the beginning, but for the end. The importance of Joel 2 is not, hey, the Spirit's here. That's not the important part. Yeah. The important part is, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah. So we got to understand that even for the apostles who are experiencing this great move for the first time, for them, the coming of the Spirit was God's way to empower them to preach the message of salvation. Yeah. It was not the gift in of itself. It was a means that God
1: allowed them to use it to preach salvation. It's not about the experience of the infilling. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Come on, I want to I just have a move of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Right. It, it is so that you may be saved. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was, you know, the way I see it, there was speaking and there was seeing, but all of that led to saving. Yes. You know, that you may be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord you be saved. I also think that that uh, Peter using the the scripture here and Joel and, and other ones just testifies even more that God watches over his word. Yes. It's yeah. kind of like it was prophesied and here's the proof. Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I said it now here, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, and that's good for us to know that, that we can trust God's word. Yeah. And what he said will come to pass, will come to pass.
0: Exactly. And, so he quotes this and he and he ends it with this high note that the spirit, look at this, all this that's been given, it's given so that whoever calls can be saved right now. Yeah. And then he moves into kind of, so kind of particularizing, kind of getting into details about what that salvation implies. Yeah. And he says, so now that you know that this is why we're here, men of Israel hear the words, hear my words. Jesus of Nazareth, and he begins to talk about Jesus, right? Yeah. It's the gospel message. He says, he lived among you. He did works that you saw. And then you crucified him, which was ordained by God, you know. But God raised him up back to life. You know, he gives the gospel
1: message right here yeah. to these Jews. You know, it's kind of touchy because I want to be careful. And it's something I've done, so I'm not going to try and be hypocritical. It's absolutely something I've done, but something that... I see here that we just need to be aware of when, when Peter preached to them, he did not preach, Jesus died for you. Right. He says, if you look at it closely, he says, you crucified him. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. Mm-hmm. The center part of the message is he raised from the dead. Yeah, he's alive. Mm -hmm. It's not just his death. It's the resurrection. Matter of fact, that's what the apostles will give witness to is the resurrection. Right. And we just can't miss that. It's probably, you know, semantics and and so forth. And I do believe that Jesus died for you. Don't get me wrong. He did bear your sins. And then and the the Bible spells that out for us and stuff. Mm -hmm. But they were testifying that you crucified him. Mm -hmm. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead, so now you can believe in him. He is both Christ, both Lord and And Christ, Christ. you know?
0: Well, I mean, to your point, the the bearing of our sins is of absolutely zero effect if he doesn't raise. Yeah. It'd be like me bearing the sins of the
1: world. I'm not getting back up. I mean, even when they tried to find an apostle to replace Judas, we need to find someone who can be a witness of his resurrection. Right. Of his resurrection.
0: Yeah. So he preaches that to them. And he actually goes back and quotes one of the two central Jewish um, figures in all the Old Testament. You have Moses and David are like the two big guys. You know, Abraham too started it, but those are really the big guys as far as prophets and kings. And he quotes Psalms here. He quotes Psalms 16, 8 through 11 when he talks about God raising him back to life, you know. He says, I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. And I'll kind of stop reading there. And, and you know, a lot of people reading that would think that that was talking about David or they might think that that was talking about some future Israelite king. Because, you know, if you're not a Christian yet, you, that's what you would think. And Peter stands up and says, brothers, that can't be David, because right there's his tomb.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A- the whole thing is he's trying to make the point is <laughs> um, David is dead, but Jesus is alive. Right. I mean, he goes on to say, I could say this with confidence. Yep. Uh, he even calls him the patriarch. The patriarch, David, mm-hmm. uh, that he died and his buried and his tomb is right here. Right. It's still <laughs> with us today. But when we look back at that uh, passage that he read out of Psalms, that he quoted out of Psalms, we find again a, a chiastic structure. That's kind of like where you know the beginning and the end kind of mirror each other, and then the part that's in the middle is highlighted. Yeah, and it, and it starts off and there's a lot of layers, but it starts off basically you crucified him, and then it ends with this Jesus whom you crucified. That's kind of the the bread, the right. sandwich, and the very center of that thing is this. That he, where he says, "You will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your holy one see corruption." It is the resurrection. Yeah, the the emphasis of what he's is saying is is Jesus is alive. David was a good man. You followed him. You believe he's a great king, but he's dead. This is not talking about him, right? It is talking about Jesus. He's the fulfillment. He's the descendant of David. He's yeah. the seed. He's the the one. Yeah.
0: Know. And th- this whole sermon is about the resurrection and the deity, the, the God, the exaltation of Jesus. Because yes. right after this, he says, okay, he's alive. This is about Jesus. But not only is he alive, he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. And then he quotes Psalm 110.1, where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Peter is saying here that, you know, David, as the king, looked up and said, the Lord said to my Lord. So now there's somebody else who is above David. And it's not Yahweh, but it is Yahweh, but it's not Yahweh, right? It's that whole complex thing. And he says, the Lord said to my Lord, you know, sit at my right hand. And Peter says, that's Jesus. Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. So not only did he die and raise again, but now he has all power. And I think Pastor Joe, in our prep, you made a great point to say that um, David, his most iconic feature, is that he was the king of Israel. But Peter never calls him the king.
2: Yeah,
1: because that title is now reserved for one. It's funny because <laughs> he refers to David and uses two different titles. He calls him a patriarch, and another time he calls him a prophet. Right, which is because of what he wrote here in Psalms. Yeah, he had a prophetic meaning, but you don't call him king. Right instead he says and i love what it says verse 36 it says this is let all the house of israel therefore know for certain that god has made him talking about jesus both lord and christ yep you know david is not that lord no nope. jesus is lord and christ right he's the king and he's the savior right the messiah you can call on him believe on him and you'll be saved. So, you know, something, just a side note here, and we'll go back to this. I love the change that's taking place. Peter's up there, man, he's throwing down scripture. He's <laughs> quoting Old Testament scripture. Yeah. You know, just a few days earlier, he's uh, denying the Lord, right. unable to make a stand for the Lord. Yeah. But when that Holy Spirit came inside of him, gave him the power... Right. To be a witness. To be a witness is exactly that's what it says. Acts 1-8. I'll give you power <laughs> mm-hmm. to be a witness. You won't have to hide in the room mm-hmm. like yeah. they were doing. Right. Now they've come up charging out of the room. Yeah. You won't have to bow down and run from a girl or whoever it is that's saying you're one of them. Right. Now you're going to make a stand right. and say Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Yeah. I love
0: that. Yeah, it's, it's great. So Peter ends his sermon with, you know, All of these Jewish scriptures and Hebrew scriptures point to the fact that Jesus, because he raised from the dead, is now both king and our savior. And he ends it. You know, mic drop moment here at the end of his sermon. Yeah. And then in verse 37, it says, Now when they, this is the crowd, heard this, they were cut to the heart. You know, the Holy Spirit was working right away. Conviction. Yeah, it was working right away. Yeah. So they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Yeah. You know, this question mirrors in Luke, um, a passage where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, what shall I do to gain eternal life? And as you know, in that story, Jesus gave him something he needed to do, and he walked away sorrowful, right? He couldn't do it. But now Peter is going to stand up, and he's going to tell these, these, these not believers yet, but these Jewish people, you know, what is the next step in their life? And he goes right into it. First, he says, Repent. Yeah. Man, you got you got to turn away. You can't you can't be doing what you've been doing. You have to come and follow Jesus.
1: I mean, this is this is what Jesus. This is what John the Baptist's ministry was about at the beginning. Repent. Mm-hmm. Kingdom of heavens at hand. Jesus, come out preaching the same thing. Repent. Mm-hmm. Now Peter, uh, preaching repentance because now the way has been made. You know mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Um, so we should not think that we can um, that we sh- can abandon that message. Right. Repentance is still necessary. Right. It's still important. A lot of uh, times we want to make it so appealing for everybody that we take away what is required. Yeah. And we can't do that. We don't have that authority right. to offer a different path to life. Right. Repentance is still necessary.
0: Yeah. And it, it, it that word literally speaks of turning, of a changing. You're turning around. There's
1: a life change. Yeah. So yeah.
0: the idea is this is, if I'm walking east, I need to now turn around and walk west. It notice it doesn't say anything about the speed, right? Some people say, like, oh, you need to turn around and you need to be like cleaned up and cut up and ready to go on day one. You know, mm-hmm. it's more about the heart of repentance is more about what direction are you walking, right? Yeah. You may be stumbling with every footstep, but are you walking in the right direction? Eventually you'll get your feet under you and you'll be able to walk. Or have you not turned around and are you still going the wrong way. yeah. So repentance talks about turning and going the right direction. yeah. Then he says, after you repent, be baptized. Let's, let's read it here. It says, um, so it says, um, what shall we do? It says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So then it says, after you repent, be baptized. So it's important part to note here that who is Peter talking to? Where's he at? He's talking to we've established to Jews. Yeah. This is a Jewish Pentecost is a purely Jewish thing when it begins. Yes. 100%. So we got to understand baptism is a Jewish thing. It didn't just get created when with Jesus followers. Jewish people have been baptizing people for thousands of years. Yeah. And you know, the idea of baptism was it was a symbol even in Jewish practice was a symbol of your purity. It was, okay, I'm unclean, or I've done something that has made me unfit, so I'm going to dip myself under the water and come up, and now I'll make myself fit. They
1: would have just, even in their homes, they would have what they call mikvahs. Mikvahs, yeah. They are just uh, personal little baptries, you know. Right. Kind of like a bathtub type of thing, and they would just have ritual cleansings, ritual washings, right? Yeah, exactly. They would call it baptizing. They would dip themselves in to be clean.
0: To be clean, and the idea here is that you know, you talk about baptism as it relates to salvation. Is it part of our salvation, like part of the work that we need to do to be saved, or or is it a, a symbolic thing of our nature being changed? And, you know, part of the Jewish custom was there was only one baptism in the Jewish custom that was never repeated. So Jewish people would be baptized multiple times. Oh, yeah, every day. E- every Sabbath they would need to be baptized. If they did something unclean, I mean, they would need to be baptized all the time, okay? But there was only one baptism that was never repeated, and that was when a proselyte, meaning a Gentile, who wanted to convert to Judaism, mm-hmm. they would he would go under all of the processes that needed to be done, but then right when he was done, when he was about to convert, he would be baptized into the Jewish faith, and it would never be redone. It was a symbol that, hey, I'm leaving behind all of my Gentile ways, and I'm now going to become a Jew, right? It was like a symbol, and it would never be repeated. And I've heard a lot of commentators say that this is the kind of radical action that Peter is calling on the Jews to do, yeah, just like you demanded that Gentile leave behind his Gentile ways symbolically through this baptism. You too need to leave behind your ways as you symbolically are baptized into following Jesus
2: yeah
1: we need yeah, exactly, and we need to understand that what Peter is given here he's not given a um, a doctrinal statement here, right. Um, we will go through the epistles and we will learn, and Paul will will spell it out for us wonderfully, that we're saved by grace Mm -hmm. through faith. We are not saved through baptism. Mm -hmm. But baptism is still an important part of the process, right? Mm -hmm. Following Christ and uh, the public declaration and all that stuff. But for Peter to say, repent and be baptized, he's not making that a formula, Right, he's not saying this is what you have to do. To be, that baptism has to happen in order to be saved, because that's just not true. Right, because then that goes against what Paul says that we're not saved by works, because to be baptized is a work. Peter you know?
0: Peter didn't say anything about having faith.
1: Yeah, it's do you just, have
0: to have faith to be saved?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's so we just got to understand. We got to be careful about form and doctrine on one verse. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's not even Luke's. I don't even think that's Luke's. Um, basis for writing the book of Acts you know what I mean and right. he's not doing it to try to lay out to us a theological statement he's more of a historical yeah you know event of what happened on in, and in he's writing time. to people who already believe already yes
0: confidence and you know to believe that baptism is you have to do it to be saved makes two assumptions that that you have to take one is you have to take that the water that you're baptized in is equal to the blood of Jesus because it says in Matthew it says you know the blood that Jesus will shed for the remission of your sins and then here it says be baptized for the remission or forgiveness of your sins so you need to assume that those two things do the same thing yeah i don't think anybody would say that no. and then the word be baptized is in the passive voice which what that means is you you are to be baptized you don't do the baptizing meaning you need to go have somebody baptize you so if you're saying that baptism is necessary for salvation, you're also saying that you necessarily need a human intermediary for your salvation. Yeah. Because the call is to be baptized by somebody. So you no longer just need Jesus, you need another human to be saved. That doesn't fly. Well,
1: no, and, and it just takes away the idea that you're saved by the grace of God, that what Jesus did was enough. Right. Because now you're saying it's not enough. What Jesus did, plus I need somebody else I to do to. something, and I need to have this. And I have, you know what you I mean? You know,
0: now it's like, Jesus, I believe in you with my whole heart, and I'm turned, I'm repenting, I'm going to follow you, but don't come back until I can get to the river. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things, yeah. you know. And
1: Do I think that we need to be baptized? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a public declaration of this is Absolutely. who I am. Absolutely, and uh, if you don't want to be baptized, I think you would just need to examine your heart and find out why. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if you're a follower of Christ, you want to follow Him, yeah, and fi- and be obedient to what He says. Um, but it is not required for salvation,
0: right? Yeah, and and then Paul or and then Peter goes on to say, "Be baptized in the name of Jesus." The whole idea merged together with baptism in the name of Jesus is you need to be. It needs to be a public declaration of where your allegiance lies. Yeah, this is this is no longer a secret thing. There was never a secret Christian thing. It's, I'm going to be baptized into following Jesus.
1: It is not a formula. Yeah, this whole thing is not a formula. You know, I'm not trying to be argumentative or anything, but this is not a formula. Mm -hmm. This is not how it has to be. And these are not the words you have to say. We just don't get that indication at all. Right. Whenever a person, uh, you know, in this time, they had rabbis, teachers, that would gather followers. It was very common. Mm-hmm. Jesus ended up getting followers. They became his disciples, right? Right, right? But anytime you would follow somebody, many times they would be baptized in that person's name. Yeah. And what they're saying is, I'm following the teachings of this rabbi. Right. I'm following the, the teachings of this teacher. So now what they're saying is, be baptized in the name of Jesus. In other words, when you are baptized, your public declaration is, I am living the life that Jesus taught. Exactly. I am following the teachings of Jesus, the way of Jesus has nothing to do with what you say Right. when a person goes under the water. Right. These are people there uh well it'll go on to say that three thousand people got saved. Right. Um, a lot of them probably just went and dipped themselves in the water. Yeah, There wasn't somebody standing over them and saying certain words every time. You know right, what I mean? Right, yeah. But by faith, they were making this declaration, I am following Jesus. Yes. I am following Jesus. Yeah,
0: so. and and later on, Paul will use this exact same formula. Be, they were baptized in. It's the exact same formula, and he'll talk about Israel. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verses 1 and 2. Israel, as they passed through the Red Sea, as they passed through the water, were baptized in Moses. You know, they were baptized in Moses. That doesn't mean that every Israelite that walked through the water, Moses was like, baptized in me, baptized in me, baptized in me. That's yeah. not what that means. What it means is when they came through, they came through and understood that Moses was now their leader. Yeah. Yeah in the old testament affirms that because anyone that went against Moses was judged like Korah or Aaron and Miriam at times it was is Moses is the God's chosen leader and Peter is standing up and saying just like Moses was God's chosen leader now we're to be baptized under submission to Jesus we're to follow Jesus yeah yeah
2: Yeah,
1: and so even when you repent, you're baptized into the body of Christ. Yep. You know, you are placed into the body of Christ. So there's just a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, So repent, declare that you are following Jesus Christ. Right. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and when you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You do. You receive, God's Spirit comes inside of you. Uh, and so, uh, and he takes up his abode and he dwells within us. Right. If yeah. we don't have his spirit, we're not any of his. That's right. You know, these are things the scripture says. And so it's a beautiful thing. It's again, goes to that idea is that you will become the temple You'll of the Holy be spirit. Be the temple. And, you, yep. know, uh, you won't have to go to the temple to meet necessarily with God, but he will be with you and he will be in you.
0: Yes. You know? Yeah. And just like I'm the temple, you can be the temple. And so after Peter gives this command, he has the greatest altar call. Man, three thousand people get saved or added to the church. Man, That's, yeah, what a powerful just in, you know initiation of this of this act of salvation.
1: Yeah, it is wonderful. And even when we you know you look at it, it says uh, verse forty one. So those who received his word, they believed what he said, mm-hmm. were baptized, and they were added that day about three thousand souls, um, and so. Uh, you know, uh, it's a beautiful picture. Some say, well, how could you baptize 3,000? Archaeologists have uncovered uh, over 150 baptismal pools in the Jerusalem area alone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, baptism was a common practice. Yeah. And they were pools everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could be baptized. Yeah.
0: And so all these people are added. It's, it's amazing. And then it gives a description about the church, okay, which is great. And it gives some key attributes. And it says, and they. So this includes the original 120 and the 3,000 who were just saved. Yeah. So these are the newbies too, okay? Yeah, absolutely. It says, and they devoted. So the first attribute of the church here is they're devoted again. Remember me talking last episode about this? They're devoted. What are they devoted to? The apostles' teaching. They're devoted to hearing teaching and preaching, to fellowship and breaking bread, to community with the people, even if it's not teaching or preaching, they're devoted to living their life with fellow believers. Right. And they're devoted to prayer. So these new believers, the church, is now showing that it's devoted. And it said, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. So the second thing we see here is that they are not only devoted, but they're committed to the needs of the church. They're committed to the needs of the church. A lot of people like to use this through some kind of economic argument, but honestly, what it is here is our, these are acts performed by the church, for the church. Yes. These are Christians to Christians. This is the needs of the church, and these are voluntary actions that overflow from the Spirit of God in them. Yes. This is not a compulsion. Peter didn't say, it wasn't a Hey, command. 50% of your income goes to Sally over here. No. This was out of... The spirit moving in their life,
1: yeah, and we got to understand the economic times that they were in. Oh, yeah, they were under great uh, Roman oppression. Uh, the Jews were uh, struggling, suffering, and then even later on, the church would suffer even more. You yeah. know, and a lot of them were going hungry, and so they were doing what they could to help take care of each other. But it was not uh, a command; it was just the natural outflow of Christ in their heart, the love of God in their heart, which and, is how uh, it should be. Yeah, and I think that. Uh, part of it is reflected there in verse forty-three. It says, "An awe came upon every soul." Yeah, that there was this, you know, fear, fear of God, this respect of God. When they had this, uh, this awe for who God was, it affected how they lived. Mm-hmm. When we live without that awe, without that fear of God, we disregard each other. We disregard the the gathering together, the fellowship of believers, we disregard the needs of one another. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And and so it, it all comes together, you know, that yeah. not only did they believe, but now that they believe in Jesus, they had this reverence for who he is and and this sense of... Of uh, reverence are all for God and affected their their behavior.
0: Yeah, and I think what's really interesting is the passage that we are focusing on now has a direct correspondence to Acts one fourteen, and the only difference is that the Spirit came right in between. So in Acts one fourteen, they they devoted themselves to prayer and to being together. Right, that's what they devoted themselves to. Well, in Acts two, you have the Spirit coming, and now what's different? They're still praying. They're still together. But now they're devoting themselves to hearing the word and hearing the teaching, and they're devoting themselves to the needs of the church. That's the difference. Because what does the Spirit do? The Spirit takes you and makes you less inward-focused and more outward-focused. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they had no self-awareness. They were all turned toward God, and then sin brought them on themselves. Yeah. So when the Spirit came, it redid that. It went from I'm inside to now I'm looking outward. Yeah. And now I'm worried I'm going to fill the needs. Mm-hmm. So a spirit-filled person is someone who's devoted to hearing, teaching and preaching, devoting to living with other believers in community, and devoted on meeting the needs of the church and believers. I mean, that's that's a spirit-filled person.
1: Yeah, and again, the idea of I'm a believer, now I'm going to go live my life separate from everybody else is completely foreign, foreign. to the Bible. Mm-hmm. The Jews of this time... Would have had no idea about that. Matter of fact, it just they probably couldn't even fathom it. Yeah, is those that believe came together. They were in the temple together. They were in each other's homes. They were eating together. They were praying together. They were meeting each other's needs. Uh, is a beautiful picture. Yeah. So we need to, you know, we just need to get this out of our head. This whole idea of. I'm a believer in Jesus, but you know, I don't need the church right. and I don't want to go do this, and I'm just gonna do my own thing, and it's it's personal between me and the Lord. That is so it's not even in the Bible. Right. And, but people have just bought into that garbage. Yeah. And that's I what know. I call it. It's yeah. garbage. Well, and, because
0: uh, what we'll say is, man, we just want to see people saved. We just want to see people's lives change. Well, we're here. We got a formula here. The people. These Christians were devoted to hearing the word, having it change their life. They were devoted to being with other Christians, right? They were devoted to meeting the needs of the church, whether it's the church as a whole or Christian individuals. They were devoted to that. And you know what God did in response? Added daily the yeah. people who would be saved. Yeah. You want to see people be saved. We want to see people, lives be changed. Man, do this, devote to teaching, devote to being a part of the body, devote to meeting the needs of the church as a whole or individually, yeah. man, and watch God add yeah. souls, man. That's what I want to see.
1: Yeah, because people see something that they want. Yeah. You know, they hear the message of Jesus, they believe, they see the the character and the conduct of other believers, they say, this is what it's about right here, you that's know? That's it, man. And uh, they, just like the Holy Spirit spoke the wonderful works of God... You know, at the advent of the Holy Spirit, uh, it seems like he continues to work through the believers and they continue to speak the good things of God. That's right. No tearing down and all this other stuff. Nope. Uh, Speaking the good things of Jesus.
0: So the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. It makes believers the temple now. They don't need to go to a building. They're the temple. And we see at the end of Acts 2 that all these believers now are starting to be the image of God, devoting themselves to God and each other and the Lord is adding daily.
1: Yep, such as should be saved.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the What's the Point Bible Podcast. What's the Point Bible Podcast is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Muncie, Indiana. Please leave a rating and a comment on this podcast. This helps us grow our audience to reach more people with this message. For information about this podcast, LifePoint Church, or for ways to support this podcast, You can visit lpc.tv or download the LifePoint Church Muncie app.
2: Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.